Ciao, my name is Giulia Scarpaleggia. I am a Tuscan-born and bred country girl, a home cook, a food writer and photographer. I teach Tuscan cooking classes in my house in the countryside and I've been sharing honest, reliable Italian recipes for 10 years now through my cookbooks and my blog, juicekitchen.com. If you love everything about Italian food, big crowded tables and seasonal ingredients, join us and follow Cooking with an Italian Accent. I was listening the first episode of Cooking with an Italian Accent by Giulia about food memories and when she spoke about minestrina, which abbraccia lo stomachino, I was suddenly child again, sitting in my grandma's kitchen in Tuscany, of course, with the fireplace lit, as always happened in the traditional old countryside kitchens, the marble table covered with pots full of delicious foods and with my grandma cooking for me the minestrina made with stock from their chickens was a really sweet memory for me. Thank you, Giulia, for letting me think again of those special moments. Ciao, Giulia. My name is Rebecca, and I've been listening to your podcast and following you on Instagram, and I really love all of your food stories, and I really loved your last podcast about food memories. So I wanted to share with you some of my most memorable food memories. Um, I have so many, and almost every memorable thing that I can think of has something to do with food. Um, but some of the my favorite ones include having my dad cook us cheeseburgers on the beach um, over an open campfire, um, eating a perfect croissant in Paris, and just never realizing that pastries could be so delicious. Um, I remember the first time that I saw someone make sponge sugar and had a chocolate souffle for the first time, and I remember remember thinking that I didn't realize that food could be art like that. Um, I also remember um, Papa Pomodoro has a really strong impact to me. I used to work at a cooking school in Siena, and whenever I make Papa Pomodoro at home, I can still hear the voice of my cooking teacher telling me, non bruciare l'aglio, devo rimanere bianco sempre. And it just has a very strong emotional impact to me, food always. Um, so thank you for sharing these and thank you for, um, bringing some memories back to me as I listen to your podcast. I really appreciate it. So thank you. I can't wait to hear the next episode. Ciao. Thank you, Francesca, the Bluebird Kitchen on Instagram. And thank you, Rebecca, Air Pizzala on Instagram for sharing your memories. Thank you also for your heartwarming feedback on the first episode of cooking with an Italian accent. We've been floating in happiness since last week because your support and your appreciation means so much for us. I also love reading all of your memories as uh, they made me travel uh, from kitchen to kitchen, from country to country and back in time. I want to read also La Dolce Peonia and her message on Instagram. She mentioned her grandma's frollini and those cookies marked her life And I can tell you this true because she is one of the best pastry chefs that I know. I also got a very touching email from Marilyn and this is what she told me. My grandparents and great-grandparents left Molise at the turn of the 20th century due to poverty in their little village in Casal Ciprano and moved to the big city, New York City. Like so many immigrants, they brought their traditions as well as many family memories. Our immediate family lived on the same street, in the little brick houses 
all in a row. Two of my great-grandmas and my grandma were widows and all lived together. Early in the morning, on a Saturday, they would require that all the girls show up at their house around 5 a.m. We all had a job. The oldest grandma was in charge and we made ravioli. She mixed the dough and each of us girls had various parts to play. Grating cheese, breaking eggs, picking basil from the garden, crushing tomatoes. So they would go on preparing ravioli for the whole day. But the interesting part comes now. As dinner approached, a man would be called in for what Nanny called a tasse, a coffee cup half full of the pasta water and half red wine. One ravioli would be floating in that cup and the man, Uncle Joe or my father, Donato, would give the thumbs up or thumbs down. Either way, dinner followed quickly and we all dined together. Thank you so much, Marilyn, for sharing this memory. It reminded me that very hot weekend in August when we made 1500 ravioli this summer for our wedding. It was a real labor of love, which involved the whole family. So it was me, my mom, my grandmother, my sister Claudia and Tommaso. We all made the ravioli for our wedding. Welcome to Cooking with an Italian Accent, episode 2. So today we are talking about Becoming Us. If you've read Becoming, Michelle Obama's memoir, you might recognize a quote. Her memoir is organized into three main sessions. The first one is Becoming Me, the second one is Becoming Us, and the third one is Becoming More. We went through the Becoming Me in the first episode. The food memories that marked my life and made me who I am. Today we're talking about how we became us. And it is also an excuse to talk about my signature dish, which is the roast pork loin. There won't be a becoming more, as we're not meaning to run a presidential campaign at the moment. So by the way, Becoming by Michelle Obama is a terrific memoir. And it is a book that made me think, it moved me to tears, and it made me laugh out loud. And let me just say a little thing, as I feel that this podcast is a real cordon of freedom and self-expression. You can agree or disagree with Obama's politics, okay? But Michelle Obama, through her life and through this book, I think she's a true advocate for women's empowerment. She continuously stresses the importance of working hard, of studying, of committing yourself to what you want to achieve. I think this is very different from what you can see on Instagram daily in these days where there are the so-called feminists and they are selling methods to have a six-figure business, taking shortcuts and saying that you can get where they are even if you don't have talent or working just a few hours a day. I think, you know, Michelle is a real example of, you know, she tells you that hard work and studying and committing mean a lot. And so now I'll close this little digression and I'll get back to us. I met Tommaso at the end of 2012 and that was my very first year of being self-employed. And this is also when I can say that I became me. 
We've been together since the summer of 2013. We've been working together for four years now and we've been married for about four months. So what do we do? I basically cook. I teach cooking classes. I cook recipes for the blog, for clients, for magazines, and I take photos. I take photos of food. Again, for the blog, for clients, for magazines. I write, I write about food on the blog, in cookbooks, uh, for magazines, and I develop recipes. This is a very fun part of my job. Tommaso, on the other hand, is the head taster. Uh, so is the one saying yes or no to new recipes. He is the one cleaning before and after a cooking class. In the last years, he became also a very good sous chef. So he usually helps me in the kitchen when we have to cook a lot of recipes for magazines. He is also the tech guy. So he takes care of the blog, of social media, but mostly of video recipes and of this podcast. Obviously, food played a big role in our relationship too. Tommaso always tells me that the first time he came here with a group of friends, he was so impressed that I made burgers from scratch. So I made burgers with ground beef. Uh, it was quite normal for me, but he was so impressed. And it's fun. Um, I introduced him to new ingredients with alternate fortune, I must add, because uh, now he likes butternut squash, even because I've been cooking with butternut squash basically since uh, September, October, at least twice a week. I did not have a good luck with seaweeds though. The first recipe I cooked for Tommaso when he came here on its own at the end of that summer, they were the rustici from Puglia. So consider I had never been to Salento in Puglia, where his mother is from before. The rustici are two discs of puff pastry. They are stuffed with bechamel and mozzarella. And they are seasoned with a generous pinch of black pepper and a few fillets of peeled tomatoes. They are golden, they are heavy in your hands, and they are slightly greasy. So they are the best representative of the southern street food. Heavy, fried, delicious. Every family in Puglia has its favorite bakery or pastry shop where they buy the rustici. Um, for example, Tommaso's aunt, she would drive for half an hour, sometimes one hour, to get the rustici that she wants and that she will bring here when she visits. Making the rustici at home without having even tried them uh, was an act of foolishness, I have to admit this, just like rolling out homemade puff pastry on a late summer afternoon. It was too hot, too sticky, too messy, but I tried and I managed to burn them. So this is when I introduced one of the constant of our relationship, the leftovers from cooking classes. Leftovers from cooking classes are part of our routine now. I remember the first time he would visit, I was always serving these leftovers. So you have to consider that that was the first year of me teaching cooking classes as a full-time job. I was still at the beginning. So what would happen is that I would stick to a menu, fresh pasta, like ravioli, um, it could be pisci also. And then the main course was 
I would say nine times out of ten, this roast pork loin, the Arista. For two reasons. First of all, it's good, it's delicious, it's typical, but it's also easy to make and something I can control. So I would stick to this menu because I was sure I could make the menu on time in my three hours of cooking classes without making a mess. So I would serve Tommaso this Arista time after time after time. And one day my mom said, Giulia, è tempo di cambiare il menu, se no non te lo tieni questo ragazzo. Which translated into, Giulia, it's better if you change your menu, otherwise you're not going to stay with him for a long time because you are always serving him the same food. Pork loin really represents our relationship. It is simple, but you need the best ingredients. We've been eating leftovers from cooking classes continuously, always reinventing them. So this is basically how our, our relationship works because we've been reinventing ourselves as individuals and as a couple in the last years. But let's talk about the Arista, the pork loin. It is one of the most typical recipes from Tuscany. It is this pork loin and this can be roasted in the oven or on the stovetop. It is usually dressed with extra virgin olive oil, herbs, salt and often white wine. But let's start with the name. So the name Arista, you know, it doesn't sound Italian. It is actually Greek. There's a legend and this legend is from Pellegrino Artusi, which can be considered the father of Italian cuisine. And he says that in the 15th century, it was actually the 1439 in Florence, there was an ecumenical council. Cosimo il Vecchio, uh, who is the patriarch of the Medici family, a very clever man, offered a banquet to a Greek delegation representing the Orthodox Church. And a Greek cardinal, tasting the pork loin, exclaimed, Ariston, Ariston. Ariston means the best, buonissimo, il migliore. And this is uh, why the Florentine people decided to use this foreign name uh, to define their typical dish, because it was actually the best. There are documents attesting the use of Arista, of this word, to describe the pork loin, even at the end of the 13th century. Let's talk about this Arista in details. I always tell that there are a few rules to make a perfect Arista during my cooking classes. The first and the most important one is buy the best meat you can afford. When I go to my butcher, Luciano, um, I want the Grigio della Montagnola. It is a local breed, which is a crossing between the normal pig and the Cinta Senese pig. So let's talk about this very special local breed. The Cinta Senese is very similar to the British Saddleback, but it is much smaller. It is a breed of domestic pig from the province of Siena, so from here, from Tuscany. I told you this is an ancient breed, but how old? So there's a fresco in Siena, inside Palazzo Publico, which is the public building overlooking Piazza del Campo. And this fresco is the famous Buon Governo, which has been painted by Ambrogio Lorenzetti in the 14th century. 
So this fresco represents the allegory of the good and bad government in the city and in the country. In the side of this fresco dedicated to the effects of good governance in the country, there is a farmer which is dressed in the fashion of the time and is pushing a cinta senese pig. You can see the animal is portrayed with accuracy and authenticity. It is characterized by the white belt, and belt is cinta in Italian, uh, which is encircling the chest, and by white front legs. So this is the best representation of a cinta senese pig. But despite this fresco that is back to the 14th century, there is, there is evidence that this cinta senese was reared here in these areas since the Etruscans and the Romans. So the Cinta Senese is the progenitor of all the Tuscan pork breeds. Where uh, the Cinta Senese lives, he lives in the Montagnola Senese. They are the hills that I can see now from my window, so they are extremely local and they are covered in woods. The Cinta Senese is um, bred in the wild. It has floppy ears that cover the ice, so protecting the ice when they run in the shrubs. And what do they eat? They eat acorns, they eat roots, they eat tubers, they eat mushrooms and truffles. So when I order um, Grigio della Montagnola pork at the butcher, I know that I can get the same quality of a cinta senese, almost, let's say, because it's free range, it's local, and it's a very tasty meat, and it's nice and marbled. So the pork loin of the Grigio della Montagnola is the best cut that I can get to make my arista. So the first important element is having a good quality meat. The second important element is the use of salt. So now everyone knows Samin Nosrat and her cookbook, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. It is not just a cookbook. I think it's the best book on cooking that you can read if you want to learn the reason why. I learned to cook thanks to my grandmother or my mother or other cookbooks, but I never attended a proper cooking school. So I was missing all the technical explanations, all the reason why. And I found all these explanations into this book. So I understood why I had to do something to have a certain result. This was a fantastic and incredible cookbook and I really, really uh, suggest you to read the book if you are interested in cooking. But let's go to the salt part. The salt chapter is very interesting. It is eye-opening because it explains the role of salt in cooking. When is the right moment to add salt to your food? How much salt to add? Which kind of element you can add to give saltiness, to give savoriness to your food. So Samin Nosrat, she answers all these questions. And she also says that you can salt your food quite in advance. Because if you give time to salt, to get inside the meat, you will have a meat which is, first of all, flavorful, but also juicier and softer. So when it comes to my Arista, I would salt the arista just before cooking. I would rub some of the salt on the pork loin and then cook that on the stove top. After uh, the book, I start trying different combinations. So I would salt my arista 
a few hours before, the night before, just before roasting it, to see the difference. And I realized that for my usual size of pork loin, which is in between 800 grams and one kilo, so let's say two pounds, two hours before roasting the meat was the perfect timing. So now I usually rub the meat with salt and black pepper two hours before I'm going to roast it. And I leave the uh, pork loin at room temperature because roasting, cooking your meat when it is at room temperature is also a good advice, a good choice. So it is just salt. You know, when I rub my meat, I always add what is considered the sacred triad of Tuscan cooking. Sage, garlic and rosemary. Usually my mom makes a salt rub, which is made with salt, black pepper, sage, garlic and rosemary. We keep this in a jar um, at room temperature, not in the fridge. And I use this with meat, every kind of meat, pork, chicken, beef. I use this with fish, but also on potatoes or focaccia. It is very good. It is the taste of Tuscany. The third important element to make a good arista or pork loin is the butcher's twine. When I go to the butcher, he always asks me if I want him to tie my meat and I always say, no, 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 lo facciamo noi. No, 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 we're going to do that at home during my cooking class because I want people to touch the raw meat, the raw ingredient, because that is the best way to understand the process of cooking, to respect the meat that you're going to cook which in our case is local and free range. It is very important to tie the meat because at the end you will roast the meat evenly because we're going to roast the meat on the stove top in a pot. So with the butcher's twine, you got a nice compact meat and you're able to roast it evenly. And it's also easier to slice. It's also nicer when you take a photo. Uh, once I forgot the butcher's twine, I teach cooking classes usually in my studio where I have everything I might need for cooking. But once in a while, I go to other villas when the group is big or where there's a special class. And once I was, you know, planning to cook an arista and I forgot at home the butcher's twine. So when I was there, I was not panicking because you always had to avoid that moment when you are teaching a cooking class. And I was just pretending that everything was fine. We roast the meat without the butcher's twine. When I sliced the meat, when I tried the meat, I could taste the difference. So if you haven't tried the meat, the pork loin, cooked properly with the twine, you do not know the difference. You cannot recognize the difference, but I could taste it. So even the taste is different once you use the butcher's twine. There's also a nice episode happened, um, that happened during a cooking class. It was a, a family, a very large family, and everyone was involved during the cooking class. Everyone was doing something, they were all very excited, but the father, he was, you know, on its own, on the side, not participating very much. And then it came the moment of tying the meat. And I asked, who wants to do that? And he said, I will do that. I'm a surgeon. <laughs> so that was the best tied pork loin I have ever seen. 
And after that moment, he took part into the class and he was a very fun uh, person. He really, he was really interested in cooking. He was probably just shy at the beginning, but then he applied his skills, his surgeon skills in tying the meat. And it was, you know, a perfect meat. Okay, let's go to the fourth point, the cooking method. Today we are talking about the arista that is roasted on the stove top. You can also roast the arista in the oven, especially when the pork loin is on the ribs. Sometimes on a Sunday, when we light up the wood burning oven, we would roast the arista in that oven. And that's the best one you can get, especially if you put some potatoes around it. But on a normal day, on a weekday, I usually roast my arista on the stove top. It's quicker, it's a quicker method, and usually the result is easier. You get a moist, juicy arista um, without you know, having to check continuously or adding the wine to prevent it from getting too dry. So how do we do that? I usually use a cast iron pot and I add quite a bit of olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. When the olive oil is hot, I add the meat directly into the pan. And that's, you know, the nice sound. The meat is cooking. Now I'm going to roast the meat on the four sides plus both ends. And I'm waiting until the arista is golden brown. I want to sear the meat. This is the reason why I'm not going to use a fork or a metal spatula to turn the meat. I usually use a wooden spoon or a wooden spatula. First of all, because I don't want to break the meat, I want the juices to stay inside. The second reason is a more chemical explanation. And I learned this from the people making cast iron pots. They explained me that I have to use a wooden spoon when I touch meat inside the pot, because meat is made of proteins. And when you touch proteins with something cold, like a fork, a metal fork, the proteins tend to shrink. And so at the end, you will get a tougher piece of meat. If you think very well, it is the same reason why, traditionally, we would stir the beans in the pot with a wooden spoon, never with a metal spoon. Because beans, just like meat, they are proteins. So they, they would have the same chemical reaction. When the meat is golden brown on all sides, I will pour in the white wine. I usually use the lid as a shield because it may split everywhere. So I let the wine evaporate for a few seconds, then I put the lid on top. And from that moment on, I cook for about 20-25 minutes on the lowest flame. After these 20-25 minutes, is the meat ready? No. Now we go to the fifth point, which is letting the arista rest for at least half an hour. Why? Because after 20-25 minutes, the meat is not cooked completely. If you want to check the meat, the pork, with a thermometer, you want to reach a temperature which is in between 62 Celsius or 145 Fahrenheit for medium rare meat to about 71 Celsius, 160 Fahrenheit for a medium cooked meat. 
I usually do not use a thermometer because now I know that my two pounds piece of pork cooks in about 20-25 minutes. But the most important part is the resting. Because if I'm going to slice the meat just after the cooking, first of all, it will be very difficult to slice it properly. And second, the juices won't be set. So it would seem still a little bit too bloody, too pinkish for pork. But if you let the meat rest inside the pan or wrapped in um, aluminum foil, the meat will have time to, you know, to adjust its cooking. And after half an hour, sometimes I wait a little bit longer, it will be juicy and perfect. I do the same when I have to roast, I don't know, a piece of beef, but even a whole chicken, a whole roast chicken. I'm not going to serve it straight away after it's finished to cook. I wrap that in some aluminum foil and let it stand at room temperature for a while. This makes the roast perfect. The last point, uh, it's about changing this recipe. This is the basic recipe, cooked with extra virgin olive oil, fresh herbs and white wine. But remember that you can turn this recipe into a seasonal recipe. You can add apples and onions, you can add prunes and pacetta, you can roast it again on the stovetop or in the oven, you can add leeks, it's very good with leeks, you can add a knob of butter, so this is a basic recipe and you can really play with it according to the season and according to what you have in your pantry. Also, you can serve this recipe hot, warm or cold. Usually I prefer to reheat the sauce of the meat and slice the meat when it's cold. So I drizzle the hot sauce over the very thin slices of meat and they will warm up without being you know, warmed on the stove top. I also like to serve this meat cold in summer because it's a very flavorful meat. So I just slice it and then I make a little citronette with extra virgin olive oil and lemon juice and drizzle this over the slices. It's very nice and tasty for a summer evening. It's nice into a sandwich with some vegetables. It's a very versatile recipe. Once you know how to make it, you can transform it into an endless amount of recipes. And this is it. So let me know if you want to try this Arista, if you're going to try it, and how do you like it better? Word of the day. Learn Italian language of food, word after word. Every year, more than 200 people join our cooking classes. Speaking with them, I made a small dictionary of important words and pronunciation that can help you navigate through the immense world of Italian food. So if you love Italian language as much as you love Italian cooking, these are a few words that can be useful for you. Today we are talking about three words. Odori, battuto, soffritto. So what do they mean? When you go to the market, they will often ask you, do you want some odori? Do you want some odori? Odori is smell, aroma. So they are going to give you for free a stick of celery, a carrot, a little bunch of parsley, and sometimes a little onion. These odori are the foundation of Italian cooking because these are the ingredients that will give flavor to many recipes. Once that you chop all these odori, you get the battuto. 
Battuto is a mixture of chopped vegetables. It's the French mirepoix. A battuto can be made just with onion or with onion, garlic and celery, some parsley, some fresh herbs. But anyway, it's a collection of vegetables that you're going to, to-, to chop very finely. The third word is soffritto. So once you got your odori and chop them into a battuto, you can start cooking this battuto in olive oil or in butter. This is what is called soffritto. Soffriggere means to shallow fry something. It could be just butter and onion, for example, if you want to make a risotto, or it could be a proper soffritto for a meat sauce, where you're going to chop celery, carrot, onion, sometimes a leek, or also some parsley or a clove of garlic. And then you're going to cook that in olive oil. Sometimes it is lard, sometimes it is the fat from some pancetta or from some prosciutto. But anyway, chopped vegetables, shallow fried in some fat. This is the end of the second episode of our podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. I'd love to hear from you. Which is the first dish that you cooked for your better health? Do you have a dish that is important in your relationship? Share it with me via email or with a post or a story on Instagram using the hashtag cooking with an Italian accent and tagging Jules Kitchen. If you have questions about Italian and Tuscan cooking, just email me at jules at juleskitchen.com or join our Facebook group, Cooking with Jules Kitchen. I'll answer your questions at the end of each episode. Thanks for listening to Cooking with an Italian Accent. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you are listening to a podcast. Rate and review the show. It will help us to be found online and build up our appetite for Italian food. Share with your friends too! You will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in this episode description. Don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for more information and to discover new stories and recipes from Tuscany. Ciao!